your humble host, Osgood. I have to finish a little chore. You will remember that dreadfully dull spirit that was loose in the gallery the last time you visited. Well, it took some doing, but I managed to capture it. A little trick I picked up from a Taoist vampire hunter. Though I must say, at my age, doing that final aerial is no small feat. All we need to do now is place these little slips of yellow paper to seal the jar, and that should be that. There. Let's go put him on the shelf with all the other bottled spirits. It seems there should be something one could do with these souls rather than keep them on a shelf. Let's have a story while I ponder that. Kelly A. Harmon used to write truthful, honest stories about authors and thespians, senators and statesmen, movie stars and murderers. Now, she writes lies, which is infinitely more satisfying, but lacks the convenience of doorstep delivery. She's an award-winning journalist and author and a member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. She is a Baltimore native and has written the Charm City Darkness series of books. It will be read for us by Mr. Wolf Moon. On the Path by Kelly A. Harmon The soul-powered plow halted mid-furrow and hastened to a shuddering stop as the reincarnation engine seized up. Not again, said Tan swinging his legs to the side of the wooden tank and jumping down out of the seat. As he stepped forward to check the soul seal, the cat fired off with a hollow thud, like a cork from a jug. Thick white steam, more creamy than translucent, escaped the ruptured tank with a shrill whistle, erupting geyser straight into the air until a strong gust of north wind blew it toward Jorung. Tan could almost hear the screams of the souls in the din. Mada! he yelled, pulling off his gloves and slapping them on the tank. Curse you to hell if you touch my wife or children, he shouted to the escaping vapor. Leave them alone or I'll kill you the moment you're reborn. Thank the gods, the steaming cloud moved toward town and away from his home. The south wind had blown the last time this happened. He remembered that time well. Both his wife and two teenage daughters became pregnant that night. His youngest child was eight. His two grandchildren 
the same age, all born only days apart. That accident brought both joy and pain. Three more mouths to feed indebted him to the temple, for he could not pay his promised offerings on time. Yet he'd been blessed with more children and grandchildren who would grow up together, and he'd been compensated with larger herds. He'd earned two additional milk cows, several twins of sheep, doubling the flock, and the chickens destined for the soup pot all laid eggs the very same night. He had siphoned the souls off those eggs after cracking them for breakfast the next morning. But those souls had been infantile and had powered his reincarnation engine for less than a year. These souls he'd worked more than eight years. They were not young like the others. They'd spent time in the engines, for which they should be compensated on their journey to Tao. What happened to escaped souls after spending eight years on the path of reincarnation? He was certain he didn't want to know. Tan looked back at the ruptured tank. Its silk-smooth sides and dark-oiled wood denoted many years of loving use and care. Could he forget about it? Ignore the tank breach and continue as if nothing had happened? He'd have to revert back to manual farming, and Hung and his daughters would have to join him in the fields. He shook his head. I don't want it to come to that, he thought, yet he didn't know if he could do this a second time. The north wind blew again, cutting through the high collar of his quilted tunic, and Tan shivered. He plucked his bamboo hat off and ran a calloused hand through graying black strands, escaped from his waist-length queue, and walked to the mud-brick cabin he shared with his wife, daughters, and grandchildren. Yes, he could do this again. Admit the failure of the tank to the priests. Start once more with a new batch of souls. <sighs> it was easier than asking his family to help. Mud sucked at his clogs as Tan neared his home. He'd reserved the driest section of land for the grain fields. And as a result, the house wallowed in mud in the rainy season. To compensate, Tan had raised the building up and built a wrapping porch around all four sides of it. In the summer, he and his family slept outside upon the wide deck in much more spacious comfort than their tiny rooms allowed. He walked up the four steps to the porch, kicked off his shoes, and stepped over the raised sill of the door before entering the house. Hung, he called, pushing in the wooden door. She looked up from the steaming pot of rice on the brick stove. She smiled, settling the lid back on the pot and walking toward Tan. She halted at his next words. We have need of a priest, he said. The tank on the reincarnation engine burst again. Hong moved her hands to her womb, pressing against it as if to block entry. The wind is blowing north, he said. You have nothing to worry about. Slowly, Hong lowered her hands as if not quite believing. She looked to the tiny crowded altar in a small alcove in the rear of the house. Shall we? Yes, of course, he said. There's no sense jinxing our luck. He walked to the altar and bowed, then lifted three new sticks of incense, lit them from a ceremonial candle, and placed them in a burner. Without being asked, 
Hong gathered together a sack of tangerines for Tan to take as an offering to the temple. Tan bowed toward the altar again, then met Hong at the door. I won't be gone long, he said, taking the sack. Tan climbed the mountain to the temple. Compared to the Boga Da Feng, this mountain was a hillock, but knowing that didn't make the climb any easier. Old Grandfather, he prayed to the Father of all gods, I understand the need for the privacy of those who serve the gods, but could not this privacy be found on less steep ground? Then he saw the red-headed crane, a sign of luck and immortality. He bowed to the crane and continued. Perhaps old grandfather sent him a sign by way of the bird. The temple abutted the mountain face on a narrow plateau near a narrow, rapid stream. A slender footbridge, painted red with yellow lotus blossoms and hung with tiny brass bells, arched over the small stream and deposited those who crossed to within a few feet of the temple. Tan could see that the rice paper door of the temple stood wide. Three priests sat cross-legged on the porch in a bit of watery sunshine. Eyes closed, they breathed as one, hands in their laps, clasped in Chun's supplication. Inside the temple, a freestanding altar squatted behind them, wisps of burning incense whirling to the ceiling. The smell of honeysuckle, his favorite blossom, reached Tan before he set foot on the bridge. Smiling, he decided the monk's choice of incense must be, like the crane, another sign of good luck. Tan walked across the bridge, bells jangling with each step, discordant in the quiet of the mountainside. Below, the current sang over the rocks, peaceful in comparison to the clangor of the bells. He stopped on the other side and bowed, waiting for the priests to acknowledge him. Only those seeking favors climb the mountain bearing gifts, said First Priest Sheng. She lifted a mask at her side and donned the face of the Jade Emperor, who sits in judgment in heaven, his eyes and ears larger than life, in order to see and hear all he needs to know. Tan bowed, shucked his clogs, and stepped onto the porch. My soul tank has ruptured again. I need to purchase additional souls. You have awful luck with reincarnation engines, Sheng said. Perhaps you should consider a more traditional mode of farming. She lowered the mask. I have considered it, said Tan, but... But what about your donations to the temple, she asked. Beside her, Li and Hu nodded their heads. Hu said, Your crops would be smaller, and you might still give 30% to the temple. But 30% of a reduced donation will slow your path to salvation. He drew a line in the sandy floor with a black, lacquered nail filed to a precise point. The paths of your wife and children, too. 
Li stood, donning the mask of Guan Yin and taking the position of Guan's hauteur, one hand on her chin, the other clasping the upraised elbow. You have grandchildren too, do you not, Tan? she asked. Have your daughters married yet? She relaxed the position and tugged a carved jade barrette from her topknot, letting loose a cascade of hair that nearly touched the saffron-yellow embroidery on the hem of her purple robes. Tan felt anger growing in his chest. This was not the conversation he'd come to have. He had come to buy souls and get back to the fields. He hadn't time to discuss the philosophy of Tao. They knew he'd chosen to farm wheat and barley because it was harder than flooding his fields and wallowing in rice like every other farmer. His uncommon crops yielded enough money to buy his way past the lower stages of salvation. And, if old grandfather willed it, the paths of his entire family. His methods were not just self-serving. He hoped to smooth the way for them all. Is that not what a father does for his children? He closed his eyes. Grandfather, he prayed, please see me through this trial with money enough to skip ahead on the path to Tao. And please, grant me the ability to remain calm in your temple among your most ardent followers. He opened his eyes. Grandfather willing, he and his family would spend no time in the soul tanks. Years in a reincarnation engine, only to be expelled in a single steaming overload into the belly of a nearby cow, or God's forbid the belly of a chicken, only to be plucked, boiled and eaten, and tossed back on a lower path to begin again. That wasn't for him. He could afford to be above that. He'd worked hard and given much. Wasn't he willing to sacrifice luxuries he could well afford to secure a place in the Tao that much sooner? He thought, I have scrimped like a millet farmer, worn patch pants, fed my family the meals of a less prosperous man, so to make the path to heaven shorter for my family. Surely with his work and his money, they could make themselves a place on a higher plane when they died in this lifetime. Calmness, grandfather, he thought again. He turned to Lee. Of course my daughters have not married, honorable one, he said. Who would have them now? He bowed over his hat, clasped between his hands. You regret the burden? asked who. I want them happy. Tan said. And out of your house, Sheng said. Tan stepped back, stricken, almost out of the small temple. His anger fled. It's not like that, honorable one, he said. I would welcome a son-in-law in my home. Unusual, said Hu. But not unheard of, said Tan. My home is large enough. The land can support more. And sons-in-law could work the land, bringing in more income, allowing you to bypass many more stages of reincarnation on the way to Tao, Sheng said. 
it's allowed, said Don. A crackle rose up from the brim of his hat, now crushed in his hands. But only if you realize what you're giving up, said Sheng. I do, honorable one, Tan said, bowing. Hard work, discomfort, prolonged journey. This you know, said Hu. But what about self-sacrifice? You need only be willing to skip ahead on the Tao. He stood and turned to the rear wall and plucked a pin from a square of Xuanzhi paper and lifted it from its place among several others. Tan recognized his name inked on the rice paper square. Who lowered the square along the Tao path and pushed the pin back into the wall? Tan felt his eyes burn with embarrassment. He stared at the hundreds of squares on the wall, names of his family, his neighbors. He listened to the river play on the rocks beneath the floor of the temple, but refused to be soothed. Tan longed to tear his name from the wall, all the names, and dump them in the rivers that rushed away down the hill. Biting back the angry words inside him, he bowed and said, Honorable sir, I do not understand. You have not learned from your experience, who said. But I have paid, Tan said. My daughters have paid. Indeed, who said, lifting the rice paper squares with his daughter's names painted on them and replacing them fractionally higher than Tan's. We're certain that your daughters have learned from their experience, Hu said. He could not be calm. Before he embarrassed himself, Tan bowed, a chicken-like bob of his head, once to each priest, and turned to leave. Wait, Sheng said. Did you not come for more souls? Tan wished to deny it and storm from the temple, but without the souls, he could not plow as much land. Without the land, he could not buy his way to the next plateau on the path. Young souls, he demanded, knowing their eagerness to work would provide his plow with more power. Who held out a clay jar stoppered on both the top and the bottom with cork and named a sum three times what Tan had paid the last time. Robbery, Tan said. I won't pay that. Is any price too expensive to buy yourself a higher plane of existence? Asked Sheng. Tan bowed. I'd plan to donate two-thirds of what you ask for myself and my family's existential journey. Good deeds are worth more, Li said, raising the face of Chun Quan to mask her own. And take much longer, Honorable One, Tan said. He did not remind Li that Chun Quan did not perform his good deeds until after he ascended into the heavens. Instead, Tan drew a wallet from the bag tied at his waist and handed over payment for the jar. We will gladly give over these souls for nothing, said Li, now wearing the smiling mask of the trickster Wu Chun.
If, he asked. If you search your heart, said First Priest Shang, slipping on the well-worn mask of old grandfather, you'll know the answer and will place yourself firmly on the path. Tan bowed and walked down the steps, then turned his back to the priests, retrieved his clogs, and made his way homeward, the sound of the wooden soles of his shoes striking off rocks and echoing on the stony path all the way down the hill. Tan returned to his fields, stopping first at the small barn for a clay pot of resin from the Ma Wei tree and walked to the soul engine. He placed the jar of souls bottom side down over the mouth of the soul tank and pulled the cork from the top of the jar. There was little chance the souls would escape, as cold and thick as they were, but the double cork mechanism helped to prevent their loss nonetheless. A string connecting the top cork to the bottom, assured that both were plucked from the jar simultaneously. After Tan breached the jar, the enclosed souls flowed at a sluggish pace into the tank, plopping softly onto the bottom. Quickly, Tan removed the jar and capped the tank, sealing it with resin, before the souls realized freedom awaited but a hand's breadth above them. He turned the crank to stir the souls and lit the pilot light to generate the small bit of heat which was the catalyst to get the souls moving. The engine chugged to life, and Tan said the prayer to the gods, asking that these souls earn their higher rank on their path to Tao when they were done with their job for him. He patted the top of the machine like one would pat a workhorse, then loosed the brake and guided it up a furrow. It may have been a trick of the light, but when he reached the end of the field and turned the plow to the next row, he thought he saw a figure dart among his tangerine trees. Don tied off the brake, but left the engine running as he made his way into the grove. Quiet usually reigned in the grove, the dense foliage of the evergreens insulating it from sounds outside. Don's feet rustled the dry leaves beneath the trees, sounding over loud in his ears, but the noise didn't mask the sound of the six figures climbing among his largest tangerine trees. Two climbed in the topmost boughs, pulling out the ripest, juiciest fruits and tossed them down to the four on the ground. The others sat in the leaves, backs to Tan, pulling the loose skins from the orange-red fruit and devouring them, hands shoving the pulpy fruit into mouths and reaching for another before the first could even be swallowed. You there, he yelled. Thieves, get out of my trees. The rustling stopped and the two men in the trees jumped to the ground. Those seated rose and turned to Tan. In the shade of the trees, Tan found it hard to distinguish the features of the thieves and he took a step forward to confront them then halted abruptly. He recognized his uncle among them, his father's brother, one of the tree climbers. His heart thumped in his chest, and he could feel a sheen of sweat break out on his forehead. Uncle La Wang had died more than twenty years ago. Tan and Hong had been newly wed when he had fallen down the well, 
and drowned. Tan found his anger leave abruptly. His body shook. He thought he would have been less fearful when meeting the ghost of his own ancestor. Still, he bowed deeply. Uncle, my apologies. You are, of course, welcome to my tangerines, as are your companions. Is there else you would like? He looked closely at the others, recognizing none. Like Uncle La Wong, their faces were colorless. Clothes, too, were the color of bleach bone. At a distance, they'd look to be wearing white, but this close to them, he could tell the whiteness derived from their state. Lao Wang bowed. We'll gladly take your tangerines, Than, and anything else you may have to offer. We're hungry, he said, eyeing the fruit. Hungry like we've not eaten in decades. But why would you hunger, uncle? when the village always provides for the ghosts. Lao Wang smiled and raised a hand to Tan's shoulder, turning him to face toward home. It's hard to visit on the holy days when one is trapped in a reincarnation engine, nephew, he said, patting Tan across his shoulders with a hand that felt suspiciously solid for that of a ghost. Solid, yet soft and gummy, as though it lacked bones, and perhaps skin, but held substance nonetheless. The reincarnated souls sat at his table, crowded together shoulder to shoulder, eating sticky rice balls, a bit of fish, and more tangerines. Hong scurried from table to stove, unsmiling, filling bowls, splashing water into cups, and hovering nearby, frowning at the mess they made of her house. In the light, the ghosts were harder to see, a paleness against the luminance of day. In the place where they might once have had a belly, hovered the consumed food they slurped and gobbled, a dark mass against the paleness. But they had no flesh to keep it in. When Lao Wang reached for his third tangerine at the table. The action of bending at the waist extruded a glop of the masticated repast onto the dirt floor of the home. As if they didn't notice, the visitors continued to eat. Tan looked at Tang with raised eyebrows. She shrugged back, the most minimal raise of shoulders as if not to draw attention to herself. Tan cleared his throat. Uncle! he said. I am honored to serve you in this life, but I am curious. La Wang looked up from his plate, smiling. I know what you want to know, he said, reaching for another tangerine and turning back to the meal at hand. Between bites, he said, I didn't know when I gave up my soul to the reincarnation engine that the possibility even existed for me to return to this earth as me. He reached for a cup of water, lifted it quickly to his mouth, drank, and sat it back down again. I am not the ghost of your ancestor, Tan. I am your ancestor, back to life, reincarnated in the engine, rather than the Tao. 
Hong backed away from the table. Don felt himself longing to do so as well. Not the ghost of his ancestor? But not really his ancestor? Then what? And how long did Uncle Lao Wang intend to stay? Tan crossed the wooden bridge to the temple and rang the bamboo chime to request an audience with the priests. His face and hands felt the cold of the day, but he was warm from the hike. Only a moment passed before the rice paper door slid open a fraction to admit him. Heat rolled out the door, warming his face. Tan bowed. I need an exorcism, he said. Who stepped back to admit Tan, then closed the door behind him. Perhaps you would like to pray first, who said. He reached for a mask. To whom? Tan asked. To the ancestor you wish to exorcise? I have no need to pray to him when he is in my home, consuming my prophets, as easy to converse with as you. The recitation did not seem to face who. Had he seen this before? Tan wondered. Who bowed, sliding the mask to a small table. He turned away from Tan and lit some incense in a small brazier, then bowed over it. Let's talk of this exorcism, he said. As head priest, Shang performed the exorcism. She carried a mirror etched with the eight spiritual trigrams around the edge, the symbols for sky, earth, water, fire, thunder, wind, mountain, and lake, and led the way to Tan's house, who carried a chicken and a ceremonial knife with which to slit its breast. Lee brandished a staff with eight cross arms at the top, each holding eight brass bells engraved with the eight trigrams. Tan pulled a cart containing six earthenware jars, one for each spirit invading his home. The priests approached Tan's house, ringing the bells, flashing the mirror, and chanting the exorcism ritual. Lao Wang stood on the raised wooden porch as they arrived and said, An exorcism? What? Ghosts do we banish today? He smiled open-mouthed, and Tan could count the wood grains on the weathered door of his house through Lao Wang's gaping maw. He felt the gorge rise up in his throat, but forced it down. He could be brave with the priests here to help. Lao Wang. Sheng bowed. We come to remove you and your friends. Would you be so kind as to enter the jar yourself? Tan removed the first jar from the cart and set it on the spot Sheng indicated. Lao Wang laughed. You cannot exorcise me, he said. I am not a spirit. He walked down the steps, holding a hand out to Sheng. Feel me. Trust what your hands touch, if you can't believe what your eyes see. Shang swung her hand in an arc, as though she thought it would pass through Lao Wang's. 
it slapped against his, pushing it away. He smiled. See? Flesh. I am alive. Not quite, said Shang, looking down at her palm, rubbing her thumb across the pads of her fingers. But neither are you a ghost. You are in between. She turned to Tan. Pack up the jars. But the exorcism? We can't help with unwanted guests, Shang said. A strangled cry from the porch had them all turning to Hong. She rushed forward, click, 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 and struck one of the half-reincarnated spirits in the back. He flew off the porch, landing in the dirt by Shang's feet. His flesh ripped, leaving a slit large enough for the soul to escape. A whining keen erupted from the tear. Shang reached for her mirror and motioned for Tan to open the nearest jar. Vapor, like steam from a kettle, hissed from the reincarnated corpse. Shang held the mirror above it and with expertise learned from years of practice, rebounded the escaping soul into the jar. Tan slammed down the lid. Chanting, Lee rang bells over the jar. Who wrung the neck of the chicken and gutted it then marked the jar with blood. Shang dropped the mirror and with intricate hand motions performed the mudra necessary to seal the soul within. Hong stared in open-mouthed horror from the porch, but quickly snapped from her stupor. She rushed forward again and shoved the four remaining souls from the porch. Four more times, Shang used the mirror to direct the souls into earthenware jars. Lao Wang said to Shang, You condone this? Shang bowed. I can neither condone nor not condone. But this is murder, Lao Wang said. I'm not so sure, since you are neither alive nor dead. I will meditate upon it. She turned to leave. By custom, you are still welcome in Tan's home. And be murdered in my sleep? Sleep, interjected Tan. You have not slept yet. All you do is eat, eat, eat. He is not welcome at your house? Sheng asked, turning to Tan and lifting a brow. Tan looked to Hong. With a negative shake, perhaps imperceptible to the others, she let Tan know her wishes. He would serve a special penance in the bureaucracy of hell for that, he knew. But he was willing. Han gave him the courage. No, Tan said. He is not welcome. Shang said to Lao Wang, You may stay with us. Tan's face burned with shame. What he was not willing to do the priest would do in his place. Ah, he would have to increase his temple donations twice over for them to keep up with Lao Wang's appetite. Sheng said, Load the jaws back on the cart. Lao Wang. She turned to him, raising her left arm in a gesture of fellowship. Join me, please. We will walk together. It is a trick. Lao Wang said, 
stumbling backward and rushing headlong up the stairs toward Hong. Fear covered Hong's face. She ran to the door of the house. Lao Wang hurtled up the remaining steps and leapt into Hong's body. His pale, boneless self sank beneath Hong's tan flesh and disappeared. Hong screamed and ran back and forth on the porch, jumping and flailing as Lao Wang sought control of her body. Tan knew the instant his uncle won. Hong quieted, and the peaceful light in her eyes turned to triumph. The voice was Hong's, but the words were Lao Wang's. See what comes of denying your ancestor his due, Tan? Lao Wang laughed. Hong's eyes squeezed closed like Tan remembered his uncles used to do. When they were little, he and his cousins had called the laughing Lao Wang Piggy with his squinting eyes and big cheeks. And a pig is what he had become, in death if not in life. Tan's hand itched to slap the satisfied look from Lao Wang's face. How shameful that his uncle desired life so much that he would steal someone else's. Anger seared his chest. Can you do nothing now? Tan asked Shang. Surely Hong is not dead. Tan felt his heart catch. Tears scalded his eyes. He had not thought of that possibility until just now. She is not dead, said Shang and Tan felt himself relax. Lao Wang has pushed her aside and taken over her body. But you can remove him? Sheng nodded. I can. Then do so. This is an unusual exorcism, Sheng said. The astrology must be exactly right. We must take care not to harm Hong's soul. Hurry, said Tan. While we discuss it, Hong must abide that pig inside her skin. Sheng bent to knock a bit of dust from the hem of her robe. I must think, she said. I'll pay, Tan said. Whatever you want, I'll pay. Now help her. He looked at Hong and saw only Lao Wang. He turned away, unable to bear the sight of him. Whatever I want, Shang said. I want nothing. What will it take, said Tan. You have two choices. Hong or no Hong. What would you pay? To have Hong. Tan sank to his knees, moaning, his hand pressed against his ears, his eyes tightly shut. I'll do it, he said, dropping his hands and looking up. I pledge my soul to the engines. His voice became flat. Now please, save Hong. Only your willingness is required. You may yet have your wish and avoid the engines. She nodded at Hu. 
Hu tightened his grasp on the ceremonial knife. He sped to Hong, vaulting onto the porch, and sank the blade hilt deep into her right shoulder. Tan looked on with horror, the event happening so quickly he couldn't voice his denial. Hong staggered, the wooden treads of her shoes thudding unevenly on the porch as she appeared to search for balance. Her face paled, and she sank back against the wall of the house, supported by Hu. The edges of her figure blurred, and Lao Wang pitched forward, peeled from her body. He somersaulted off the porch, landing in the dirt on his back. At his right shoulder, a hole gaped in the whiteness of his flesh. No blood poured forth. As if unwilling to shed the skin it so recently wore, Lao Wang's soul took long moments to exit the wound. Only slender, tentative curls of vapor exited the slash. Shang lifted the bells at her waist in one hand and her mirror in the other. Baiting the soul, she shook the bells in an intricate pattern, their brass intonations dull in the humid afternoon. Like a moth to flame, Lao Wang's soul swooped through the hole and battered into Shang's mirror. Tan waited, lid poised open over the last empty jar. Lao Wang's soul caromed off the underside and slid helpless into the earthenware container. Tan slammed down the lid, then sank to his knees, breathing deeply. He looked up at Shang. I don't understand, he said. You said you could do not. Then there was talk of murder, and yet... He broke off and turned to Hu, pointing. You came forward, and as if you had planned the taking of his sword. Hu smiled, and Shang looked as though she might like to. Pity, Tan thought. They couldn't hide behind their mask here. Shang said, We had no plan other than exorcism when we came today. Opportunity presented itself when Lao Wang stole Hong's body. Who knew exactly what to do? And so, your problem is solved. With your help, we shall return these souls to the temple so they might be cleansed. Would you be interested in using them again? Tan shook his head. No! But these souls have worked for you for years, she said. They know what to expect of you. You know what to expect of them. I know more about these souls than I care to know. Shang nodded, then turned to Hu and Li, who had begun their ritual binding of the corpses on shrouds of white. Tan could see that neither looked happy. He knew corpse binding provided little joy for anyone, but this task irritated more than most. As Li and Hu grasped the bodies by shoulder and ankle, the bodies ripped as easily as the flesh of the tangerines growing in the fields beyond his house. He turned away. Hong, bloodied and bandaged, watched tight-lipped from the porch. She would not leave, he knew, until all the bodies were gone. Nonetheless, 
His heart felt light as he loaded the jars onto the cart and began the journey back to the temple. He may eventually spend time in an engine, also perhaps in one of these very jars, but the rest of his family would not. He smiled. Good deeds cost nothing, but were more valuable than a lifetime of profits. Thank you, Mr. Moon. Do come read for us again. Perhaps I should keep an eye on the Eastern Antique Markets and see if I can find some apparatus that would give these poor souls something useful to do. Speaking of work, the editors have been getting rather restless of late, so I believe it is time to put them back to work. We are opening submissions again for the month of June. We can only do this two or three months out of the year due to the extreme volume which we receive. I know it's shocking, but it's true. I will, of course, ask the editors to be gentle. And please, ladies and gentlemen, read the guidelines. I reiterate, read the guidelines. You can find them on our webpage. And with that, I believe it is time that we close this evening, as you no doubt have stories to write. Yes? Excellent. We look forward to reading them. Do visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attributions, no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. For the benefit of your immortal soul's progression along the path, be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes. Our theme song is Ashes, Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. This episode was produced in May of 2018. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com Read the guidelines.